Hello and welcome to episode 25 of In at the Side. I'm Dom Harbin. Tonight I'm joined by Scenario Neil. We've subbed JK in for Donovan and this evening we're joined by the man who does this. Need to be because Pontypridd can strike. Lyle running into John but still Dan Lyle. Look at him go. Of course we're joined by former USA Eagles and Bath rugby legend Mr Dan Lyle. How are you this evening Dan? Yeah I'm fantastic. Uh, still the morning here right? Uh, I'm about seven yeah. hours yeah. behind behind you guys in the Rocky Mountain country in Colorado. Very nice. And that's, yeah. that must be an amazing place to be on lockdown, to be honest, if you are, obviously. Yeah, yeah. We, no, we're, we're, uh, we're in lockdown. Uh, I think very similar to you guys. There's a, a partial relief uh, people uh, going back to work. Uh, but uh, luckily, I, I look at my window right here, and there's, uh, there's uh, the par three of the golf course. Uh, so uh, oh, nice. you guys just happened to just everybody's Jones and uh, they could they could charge a million dollars for a round of golf right now and people would, yeah. <laughs> would would pay it even though we're all suffering you know so yeah <laughs> definitely so yeah we'll just um we'll just have a little start on your career so uh when did you first sort of come into into the notion of rugby over in the states yeah um I uh I had seen rugby uh it, and had a, a few mates at university that played it but I, I obviously was playing American football and then when I finished playing I had two or three trials with the Washington Redskins the NFL and um, you go know, back then in the you know dating in the early 90s there wasn't all the sports performance centers that there are now all the high performance you know you know pre-NFL drafts and all that kind of stuff so uh, <laughs> cousin playing rugby for the Washington Rugby Club um, in D.C., Washington, D.C. And uh, he said, hey, come run around with us and, and, you know, stay fit and all that kind of stuff. And I, and I did. Um, and uh, I just, you know, immediately took to it. it. It was, you know, I always tell people that rugby's less like American football. It's more like soccer and basketball because you're, you're playing this open running field vision people through gaps playing team defense that's what soccer and basketball is what football does is it kind of gives you that physical appropriate step again gives you that kind of the ability to bump into people and run into people a little bit more and, and maybe some of those skills of running after balls and you know and jumping up for stuff but that for, for me that was more about uh, space and time of soccer and you know the jumping and the agility and the court vision so I, I played all of those sports you know, from a real early age all the way through, you know, senior school and into university. So it, it, I really adapted to it pretty quickly. In terms of American football, what, uh, or football as you guys call it, obviously, what, uh, what position did you play? Were you offense, defense? Yeah, I, in, in, uh, at high school level, you know, um, secondary, I, I played uh, both offense and, you know, most people do. So I was, I played kind of a linebacker, safety yeah. position and then uh and then on offense i played tight end which is like the big receiver you know you're kind of yeah. you're on the line. I, very much, I, it very much fits into the back row the back row is yeah. kind of that same thing right on offense you're you're catching the ball you're doing things but you're also doing some of the hard yard you know blocking and tackling type stuff and the yeah. that linebacker safety side of things is the same thing you do kind of a little bit more kind of a balance between the well, on the, on, on the defense, I keep calling it defense. I can't call it the English way anymore because since I played myself, we had an American coach. Not I knew this was going to come up. I knew this was going to come up. Um, <laughs> linebacker. I used to play linebacker and defensive end. And I, I, 
absolutely loved it, but I would have hated to be on the offense. I'd rather much do the tackling than be the, you know, than get tackled myself. But uh, no, it's such a great sport. And I remember obviously what you said about, um, you know, certain skills being, uh, you know, come across to each sport. I found the season after I started playing American football, I came back to rugby. I was hitting like a steam train, literally. Like you have to keep remembering to wrap people up because obviously in American football, you'll just run into people. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I love the sport. I, I wish I could go well, back into it. it, it the, the, the irony of that is that, um, so when I, when I didn't make the Redskins and I started playing for two years and had a real quick acceleration, kind of was a project player of the U.S. team and was doing a lot of stuff, um, I was playing a ton of rugby. And, and then I got called back by the Minnesota Vikings um, and uh, to come and, and do a trial with them. Two years, I hadn't played in American football for two years and just only had played rugby. And I'd played a few international sevens events. Uh, I'd gotten capped, my first, first cap with 15s and a couple of other events. And I was much better of a football player because of rugby. Mm. Because of, you know, all that open chain running, all that kind of field so forth. So, you know, and just, just be, you know, you just, you know, you're more, it's more, it's more like being a basketball player. And I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm biased, you know, um, but I think basketball players, probably some pound for pound, the most dynamic human beings on the planet, right? It's just the ability to, to do certain things, you know, but, um, so yeah, I mean, it was actually, it goes both ways, you know, um, you know, you can learn a lot from a lot of America. That's why I always tell people, uh, some of the state championship high school teams, right. Uh, who play in bigger stadiums than premiership stadiums, right. <laughs> you know, so, you know, um, some of those like in, in, in Austin, Texas, the 5A Texas champions called Westlake, Westlake high school. They also have the state champion rugby team. And they and they've actually in the off season they play rugby and, and some of the, so there's a there's a few California schools that are like that as well so it's a good crossover there's no doubt in terms of on the professional level sorry just to add on to that do you think because obviously America you know is all over America but that's the top sport along with basketball and baseball but would you think that I mean in in the Premiership obviously there's a lot of young players that get to a certain level and then don't make the grade and sort of, you know, slip into the wayside, go into the lower leagues, that sort of thing. Do you think American rugby can benefit by picking up, and I hate to say it this way, sort of the casts-offs of a lot of these American football teams? Or, or is there a sort of mentality that the kids almost, because they don't understand it, don't want to get into rugby? Do you think that could help? Well, I mean, look, our, our, our men's and women's sevens teams are perfect examples of crossover athletes. I mean, they're top three, five in the world, you know. Carlin Isles and Perry Baker are, you know, cast off athletes. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Nia, Nia Tapper and Alev Kelter of our women's teams are you know, pop, mm. back and field yeah. and things like that. So, um, look, we have such a big population, right? The pyramid at the top of most sports is not just a pyramid. It's like an inverted pyramid. It's like they're, they're shooting off players right, left, mm. and center all the time. And so, you know, w- w- you know there's a lot of people and in 22 it's still see an athlete in the mirror and that that that's what I was right I still saw an athlete I you know I I wasn't making the NFL or I, you know it was a you know it's a business at that level so you're trying to do all those different things and um, you know I stumbled across this other thing and you know that's uh, that's there so the, look we, we didn't have a next step for most uh, rugby players a la we didn't have a professional league and there's only a certain amount of people based on passports and capability that can go into a foreign league 
membership. So um, now that we have the MLR, you have a place for, for, for guys to go, you know, and ultimately for the world game to change and for more countries to be dependent, more, more markets to be unlocked, they have to have their own domestic competition, you know, otherwise, you know, you, you, you won't get there, right? You're always subsidizing that, right? You know, you're always uh, you know, doing that. And that's probably some of the sea change that's going to be forced upon by COVID is that, okay, what's the, what's the product development strategy in every country? And then what is the value proposition of every country? Can it provide for itself and provide for the rest of the world? Yeah. The U.S. soccer market, for example, and I know I'm going on, the U.S. soccer market, pre-1994, the Soccer World Cup was here, which is still the most attended World Cup ever, right? Yeah. 1994. Mm-hmm. Was in, the, was in the, was 20 million, 25 million was the value of that now, right? It's now in the billions, yeah. right? Yeah. You've got the, the Atlanta United is worth $500 million. The, the, the Galaxy that we own, that Beckham played in and Robbie Keane played in, you know, Zlatan, you know, just finished up, is worth $450 million, right? The, yeah. the Premier, Premier League rights fees in America by NBC are over a billion dollars, right? So, so, so the, the, do, the, the dollar numbers here are, are dramatic. So unlocking the value, you know, we're, the, the World Cup sponsors, Coca-Cola, they're based in Atlanta. MasterCard, they're based in Purchase, New York, right? They're, you know, so... That you've got to think about unlocking it so the value of the U.S. market, you know, uh, can return for for everybody else as well. So that's a little bit of a strategy of what I think how world rugby is going to be thinking, you know, coming out of the back of this is is how do we create you know um, better value? Yeah, that's awesome. I'm gonna just a little bit onto what you something that you've said, Dan. Obviously, going back having the trials of uh, Minnesota and everything like that. You were given the option, particularly at that time, to go and play in the NFL professionally or stick with a professional rugby path. Which you've gone for and why? Yeah. So I literally, and I have them on my wall in my office. Um, this is my home office in, in work. Um, so I have a bath contract and a Minnesota Viking contract, you know, literally <laughs> for uh, – the 1996 season, you know, was the, there and so forth. And uh, so all of my friends, American friends, so forth, you know, you are a lunatic. What are you doing? You know, what's, you know, <laughs> uh, you know uh, there's no, they hadn't seen rugby because it wasn't you know, really on. You had to really kind of chase it to find it, you know, over here. So um, but, you know, the, the football and the business of rugby, you know, I had, I had just spent about two and a half years of my life traveling around the world. Um, playing a sport for the U.S., you know, and really kind of uh, seeing, seeing, seeing something that was completely different and really falling in love with it, you know, from, for all practical purposes. And, and um, you know, and then being asked by you know, the best club, you know, you know, in the U.K., if not one of the best in the world, um, to come over and play. You're you must be talking about Gloucester, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> personal invitations to come visit the shed. So, uh, uh, there you go. The, uh, I, w- the, uh, I wouldn't. The, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, I've just run by. You know. um, the, uh, the, the opportunity in the NFL, you have to make the team, and then you have to make, the, you have to get past the third game of the season. 
to be guaranteed your salary for that year. It's not like they sign players and then they're, you're there for the season. There, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, you know, making the team and camps and willing down and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I just didn't know um, what that process was going to be like. And certainly on retrospect, you know, uh, I met my wife over there. I have three boys, you know, um, and it was funny. My, my son had a show and tell this morning. I, I, I didn't, these are not props. They I get ready for this, but he brought it in. And, uh, he's in third grade over here, which is a primary school. And it was kind of like, what makes you and what do you do and so forth. And he showed the, you know, he showed my, my father, who's a retired general officer. And then he showed his British passport and his American. Passport. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So it, the, uh, <clears throat> Yeah, so I wouldn't have I wouldn't have accomplished and done all the things I've done, and, and obviously have the family that I have. So I have zero regrets. Back, back so. Awesome. And sorry, I wasn't actually going to ask this, but you just brought up <laughs> sudden sort of primary school age over here and everything. A lot of people talk about injuries in rugby, etc. American football. As somebody who's experienced both of them and see how the game has developed on a professional front at the moment, which let's say from a safety aspect, or even obviously a lot of it is down to technique, etc. you feel would actually be more beneficial while on a fitness level or safer for children to start going into, would you put the American football versus rugby or would you encourage them to play both or is that, so? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I love both. Um, the, I think that there's a couple of things that rugby has uh, that, you know, are call cards for um, Americans, you know, and particularly Americans that might like football or play football. One is the culture and the values, right? I mean, certainly in the professional era, you know, there's a lot of yin and yang to that, you know, of, of, you know, are we losing it or not losing it and all that kind of stuff. But from the, from the perspective that, you know, you call the referee, sir, you shake hands, you do a few other things that are absolutely required. You respect each other. The, the actual playing of the game engenders yourself because everybody's doing everything. Where in American football, you don't, right? You, you, you're single-minded, one position, all that kind of stuff. So, so those, that, that aspects, when you, when you watch soccer or your football or go to football over here, you know, it's really, really hard to, to look at the values of those games and really be excited about it, right? I mean, soccer players are doing things on the field and, and people are doing things in the stands that you're just like, my God. And I played until I was 18. I love the game of soccer. I love yeah. – I played in Germany growing up. and I mean, it's, it's an exciting sport, but it, from a prospect of that, it's, uh, it, it doesn't teach a lot of things that you want your children to do. And then in football – coaches yelling from the sidelines, fans yelling things, you know, it's hard to go to a football game, just like it's hard to go to a football game over there without seeing that. Rugby has kind of had that now, has that, that, those aspects to it. To answer the question though, about injuries and concussion and all that kind of stuff, the NFL, the, the, the American football is a, is a collision sport, right? I mean, you, it's absolutely you know, run into somebody. It's slowly changing because of all of the issues to a rugby, which is a tackling sport, right? And inherently, head in the right places, you know, at, at the right times. And, and people move in different directions. So it's not, it doesn't always happen, but you're taught cheek to cheek, right? You're taught to rap. You're taught all of those things. So it actually, in America, is, is actually an answer to a lot of football's problems. So inherently, it feels safer. 
But the irony of it, what a lot of American football coaches are finding out is that because you have to wrap and you have to get closer and you have to put your shoulder on somebody, it's a more successful tackle, right? They're actually yeah. better at what they do, yeah. you know, because of, because of that. And I think, Neil, you were referencing that in your, your, your football days, your American football yeah. days. Well, it's very limited days, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> right. And here, here's the best, uh, there, there's lots of, of uh, straight evidence of that, but mm. the, the uh, Nate Ebner, who's won three books, Super Bowls with the New England Patriots and played on the, uh, in Rio for the U.S. team, yeah. uh, after Rio, which Bill Belichick, one of the best New England Patriots coaches, gave him that time off. All his, all his buddies watched him. He, he didn't have to go to camp late and all that kind of stuff. The year after the those six months of just intense rugby, played in the Olympics and so forth, he made the Pro Bowl, which is the best of the NFL, yeah. in special teams, which all it is is tackling. Right, yeah. you know, and, and kickoffs and but he may, after that kind of stuff, he went back to it. So there's a lot of lessons for American football out of rugby, uh, and probably vice versa. And, and that's got to be part of the calling card for the growth of the game for here. Do you think that there is a stigma between Americans who don't fully understand the game towards rugby? The reason I asked that, I, an American quarterback I used to play with, and I was desperately trying to get him involved in rugby, you know, because he was fast, he knew he, he could read the game well, obviously American football. And his response was, no way, man, you guys stick fingers in each other's assholes. I'm like, well, is, if that's what Americans think, then there's a long way to go. I mean, do, do you think that there's a sort of long way to go in people's mindsets of, of, of the differences and, and whether, you know, they're trying to get their kids into it? You've, you've just taken this podcast to another level by, you know, <laughs> yeah, talking about, I'm no talking about the, the down under of, of, uh, of, us, of, of all of our, um, yeah, look, it, it has some stereotypes here of mud blood beers, right? You know, um, yeah. because of the, you know, it, it, it's, there's a thousand universities that play the game, literally, I'm not lying, mm -hmm. but there's, you know, almost 700 men's programs, almost 400 women's programs, there's, you know, so most people are introduced and seen it there. And because it's not a varsity sport on a lot of campuses, right, there's probably only 50 or 60 of those universities that take it as serious as, as you know, as other sports on campus. It becomes a, you know, societal, cultural thing that you see the, yeah, I've been to the rugby party, right? So yeah. there's a, a bit of that. Um, I, I think that the it wasn't exposed for a very long time, right, until – Inclusion came and that that vote was in 2009 NBC started showing it a lot more and a lot more people are exposed to it the the problem is is that our big sports um you know is is you know possessioners is king right so even though football is complex you're not giving the ball away unless you have to right you know in basketball you're not giving the ball away unless you have to you know and and, and sevens which is you're not giving the ball away unless you have to as well, right? And it's a stripped down version. That's why it's kind of a American intention span oriented, right? People are like, what are you doing? Why are you giving the ball away? What do you, why, you know, okay, I get it that you want to get it over the line, but you know, they, the complexities of 15s, just like for you guys, the complexities of football, even though the possession is maintained, it, it, meaning the American football is there. So you have to get people watching it a little bit more. And it's got to be regularly available, the, the appointment television. And that's only been the last, you know, five to eight years that that's been, been of the case. Um, you know, and that's been part of what I've done for the last decade is getting the premiership rights over here, then getting European rights over here, then get the Six Nation rights over here, then 
the World Cup rights. So all of that stuff is is much more. If I'm a mom or a dad or a athletic director, I can oh on Saturday mornings I can watch rug Premiership just like I can watch Premier League, you know, and um, and and that that that's an education process. Yeah. Would you and, support? Sorry, one more just to tie on to that. Would you support uh, a competition similar <clears throat> to the Six Nations with sort of like? Uh, Maybe North America. I know I don't know how much South America plays rugby, but maybe Argentina, uh, USA. You know some of the teams from over that side. Would you Would you think that would sort of help and, and bring rugby on? So there is a championship that's been played for the last three years. It's in ah. essence <laughs> right. the the, the American the American Rugby Championship, the ARC, which mm -hmm. is now in a August to September window, and I, I think everything's back on the table for World Rugby, but it, it it's. Chile, Uruguay, um, U.S., Canada, and the Argentina 15, the number, their quote-unquote second team. And uh, it's been played for three years. I think we were second twice and won it once, you know, um, you know, beat Argentina's 15. You know, in 2018, you know, uh, probably the U.S.'s most successful year, they I think went nine and one, you know, beat Scotland, you know, beat a couple, so did some stuff. Um so yeah, that that, the, the, that level of competition, North and South America have to get better and they have to play each other more, you know, based upon time zones, based upon a lot of factors. You know, we need Brazil to be bigger. It's such a big country, you know, in a lot of different ways. And uh, that's what I was referencing earlier. There has to be a, a value proposition attached to each in the, in the product development. But yeah, Argentina flies to New Zealand and South Africa. Yeah, yeah. That's just not sustainable, right? You know, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, if you're thinking about a global game versus a regional game. Mm. So, uh, what do you? How do you see overall as a as a product rugby in the US? Obviously, USA rugby with the uh, bankruptcy, and now we're seeing a huge. Well, I'm seeing a huge influx of news articles online about them potentially hosting a World Cup or part of bidding. You know, how is you know, that's quite two ends of the spectrum there. What, what's your sort of thoughts on that? Yeah, um, it's funny. In, in, in 1988, um, USA soccer was a couple <clears throat> months away and probably had three sets of, uh, of jerseys in the shed out, shed out back. They were – okay, look, we got to change this dialogue, right? It's it, This is – you got a lot of people playing the game. And, and, of course, America is like Ireland to Istanbul. Right, it's it's there's a lot yeah yeah of pockets and a lot of a lot of different things going on, right? So, you know, um, we we've got to figure out a way to create to create uh, your structure um, that it, it rewards it itself. It becomes self-sustaining, you know, in in and of itself. And, and I think that you know um, because it, it's uh, it's it, it's not the sports that was ingrained into the American culture, uh, even in here London and you know a lot of the other things it just has it, it didn't follow that same pathway of scholastic adaptation you know not just collegiate club but collegiate varsity it didn't have a pro league and up until the last Olympics it wasn't Olympic either right that's what America yeah, yeah. does yeah. in that system and, and it, it kind of operated you know uh, you know and, and no offense uh, being driven here it kind of operated like a commonwealth you know, adopted, you know, model where, you know, what, how do we do things in the UK and how do we do things in New Zealand and 
that let's that's how rugby should be done over here right and um so what's been forced you know through the, the trying to do things and some of these economic issues and some and covid and a few other things is okay, how do we create the structure that is a really strong american sports complex pillars um and that that is uh and now world rugby i think has is really caught on to that and and you know the the structures that are that are amateur in america are, are really talking about that out loud for the first time we, we've just been a uh you know a, a really uh discombobulated you know a uh, group of individual uh personalities and individual fiefdoms doing a bunch of stuff and you know uh, adaptation of that american system will allow us to 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 move forward and, and you put mlr on top 12, 14 entrepreneurs investing in the game that can push down grassroots structures there. Those two things combined and, and World Rugby not treating the U.S. like Japan or Fiji or Romania, treating it like it's a market, all of those people working together. I've always said it'll to unlock America, it'll take America understanding its systems combined with international rugby understanding how it can support those systems for it to be unlocked, and, and there's no, there's nothing like a crisis for that happening. <laughs> but um, if you think about, if you get those, things, those building blocks right, and you start building in the future, you know, 2031 is 10 years away, right? And if you really think about that dialogue, and you know, giving people some vision and some foresight, some investment structures, some stadia dialogue, a lot of things that comes with World Cups. Right away, you start, you know. You can start kind of backfilling a lot of the structure that needs to that needs to happen. And look, if you really think about it, you know every every game would a home game for every country that came. We have that. Forget anybody even coming to this country, right? You know, we have that many Brits and that many Australians and that many Tongans. You know, so and let alone the influx. So you know it would be a successful World Cup. Yeah. You just have to be able to make sure that it's not for nothing, right? The thing is, America would do it right, let's be honest. Like, yeah. you mentioned the Football World Cup. I remember that. I was very young at the time, but I do remember how, how big it was and how, you know, that must have massively pushed football or soccer in America. So do, do you think America are ready to host one now or do you think they're a few years off? Um, yeah, you, 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 need, you need a competitive team too. Right? I mean, the thing about that 94 team was, uh, was they got to the quarterfinals, right? And, and you had, you know, some some guys that are you know and you know it was it was a big uh, athletic team you know it wasn't necessarily the most skillful team but you know their set pieces in, in soccer or football their you know their ability to to kind of uh, you know put the ball down the field you know get get in front of a defender you know trap they were just a, a really good um, athletic team and 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 you need a really good athletic American team that's interlaced with a, a, a few skillful players and. That you know that that's going to take you know a quad or two, mm -hmm. you know um, it won't just take U.S. ten good quality games because there's a steel reinforced ceiling there, right? You got to magically graft some fourth hamstrings on some people and some skill work. Some people that's the, the MLRs come at the right time, right? To that conversation and and it needs to be done in a coordinated way. So. Um, you know, Americans like winners, you know, uh, as well, right? So you need to be able to uh, to project that your team is going to be, uh, you know, to, to be successful. Mm -hmm.
No, it's ideal. So just circling back round, how did they... We obviously we just come back around to your career. How did you move to Bath come come about? Yeah, so I was playing uh, a test match in Canada um, against obviously Canada, and uh, it was the first time we'd ever beaten Canada in Canada. And there was a there was it was right when rugby was going professional. With a few scouts about, you know, and at the yeah. time um, there was I think Bath for a long time, you know. Um, there was a dearth of, uh, of second row forwards, right? You know, you had um, Nigel Redmond and Martin Hogg were the, the two that were the biggest in, in, uh, the guys there, but they weren't super tall, you know what I mean? I, I, I think I was as tall as they were, you know, maybe maybe taller in, in that regard. And um, so uh, I had a, I had a um, teammate named Luke Gross uh, who played for the Harlequins and played in Wales, played in Italy. And he was six foot nine, right? And uh, and so they were kind of looking at him, and 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 I just smashed the game, got man of the match, and uh, which was like a twenty five year old bottle of Canadian club whiskey, which was wonderful. The only problem is that I got I got I got pulled out for for uh, uh, doping testing, you know, uh, <laughs> right after the game, you know, so forth. Random, right? Yeah. <laughs> which is the irony of the European Cup. All the photos afterwards, I'm not in any of the championship photos because I was the only one that got pulled out for doping after that I game. Mean, I was literally in the pisser the whole time you while everyone else was, you know, <laughs> doing this. I actually, they actually left to go to the to the go to the next, um, you know, to go to go to the party walk because I couldn't I couldn't pee. You know, I was, I was like I was like you guys didn't didn't give your effort, man. I couldn't pee after the game. The, the cool thing about that, and I know I'm blending two stories, that I, did, um, I got a ride to the after party um, with the official after party with all the Heineken girls, right? So it was like you know the Heineken, you know. So I was in the I was in the Heineken bus, you know, uh, you know, going to the after party in Bordeaux, and that. But uh, anyway, I I I, uh, I had a really good game in that game, and. Um, one thing led to another. John Hall, who was the director of rugby at the time, came up and, and said, hey, have a conversation. And uh, and so I did, and I flew over. I literally uh, had a game, had a match in San Francisco, had a match in Japan, against Japan, flew to London, and took the train down to Bath, and then flew home. So I literally went around the world to, uh, to, uh, <laughs> to, have, to have this thing. And it was, it was right after the season had, had ended. It was kind of a time period yeah, yeah. there were no players around I, I stayed in a hotel on Great Pauline Street and no one was around no one was, was there it, to take it, me the, out. Sta the stadium wasn't up or anything I imagine no no it was nothing I was just kind of like you know but of course it was a beautiful town and so and yeah I, I so I, I was like I, I need to get something to eat and there was a there was an Italian at the time by the Theater Royale in Bath and so I went over there sitting in my own my own jack you know having my own Italian and there was a there was a, a bar right outside um, um, across the street there that had a queue, you know. Out. All right, man, let's. Uh, I'm 25. I'm 25 years old. I'm like, hey, I'll, you know, I'll just go just go to the bar, have a drink, see what's going on, single and all. That. I'm 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 going through the queue. Ten minutes later, and I go up to the front, and the guy had asked the guy asked for my ID. Now you guys aren't used to that, right, at all. In America, I am because they, they card everybody, right? Yeah. So I pull out my yeah, card, yeah. you know, and I'm 25. And he looks at me, he goes, he goes, you do realize it's under 18 night. You know? 
I'm like, uh, yeah, okay. Right. Didn't really realize that, you know. So, uh, Brilliant. that was my that was my intro to Bath. I was back on the train the next morning, and uh, you know, came back a couple months later for preseason. So. Amazing. Saying, saying about um, obviously your career at Bath and everything, you've had a great, great career there. Obviously, over 100 caps and everything. And then, obviously, also U.S. I mean, you're U.S. Hall, Rugby Hall of Fame, aren't you? Now as well. Um, Let's say. Was, was say. You had the Heineken Cup final win against Breve and played with some top players like Jeremy Guscott, Yarn Evans. Um, going away from that, what was your experience like playing in the West Country derbies? That must yeah, have been I mean, for you, especially coming over here. I, I was. I was the, the super fortunate, right, to land in Bath, right? I mean, you you you, you can't. The, the the city's beautiful, you know. There's there's pockets of sunshine over it, where you know a lot of the other country part of the parts of the country feel like they're socked in. It just feels like a pretty magical place, you know. And the and the wreck is right in the heart of it all, and it's it's a rugby town, right? It's not it's not like a lot of places, and so you know you're. And the credit of, of all the fans there, you know, um, you know, you know, playing well, everyone, you know, it was like, oh, well, who's this guy? Why is he there? Right? Is that you, if you play well, it was a merit-based, and and the team was like that, right? The team was purely merit-based, right? It was you're playing well, you do well. So I was really fortunate to kind of come into that, as well as to come into a, an era of players, as well as kind of the next era of players that was coming through or starting mm -hmm. to come through the Tyndalls and Balshaws and Borthwicks and that, those guys and some of the signings we had, I mean, I'm just super fortunate to be part of an era of the old amateurism continuing through and that new, that new line of professionalism of just some of the best players around and some really good coaches. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, obviously John Hall there, who was a player's kind of guy and, Andy Robinson and Jonathan Cullard, who've been there for a long time, but also, you know, uh, uh, Brian Ashton, you know, was was a was a player's coach, and, you know, all about putting putting the ball through your hands, and that was the way that I played, you know, sport and rugby, you know, and Clive Woodward came in for a bit of time for as a consultant, and so who was also a very open-minded type of a guy. So we we played, you know. We had the Aussies that came in, you know, that were a bit more scripted. And that kind of led to some of the exodus of some of the guys like me and Caddy and Magsy and Balsh and Tins and all that kind of stuff. Because I don't think we were very happy with leading the league and scoring tries to running seven phases before you score a try, before you actually do something, right? That was the kind of the, the differences of opinion um, at the time and ultimately why I left to go to Leicester. But, um, yeah. Just super fortunate there. Yeah. So, obviously, I was, yeah, obviously playing in that and everything. But sorry, to answer, answer your question, oh. Bristol is, is a soccer city, but it's also a rugby city, right? Uh, Gloucester definitely is a city, you know, in that regard. And so those West Country Derby, Exeter, you know, I'm certain there's soccer down there now with that, as that is a quote-unquote West Country Derby. The, the West is so rich in rugby, right? It's mm -hmm part of of everything that everybody does and they know about it it's in the papers you know so those west country derbies uh, uh 
they mean so much to the fans, right? It just can't help um, you feel it. I mean, you absolutely. And so those games are, you know, you want to play in, right? You know, the, the, you know, it's funny that there was probably less of a vibe around going to Leicester, you know, which is a wonderful place to play, you know, and look, so maybe that's the exclusion, but going to Saracens, going to Carlequins, going to Wasp, going to London Irish, certainly going to back in the day to Bedford or West or places like that. No offense to anybody from those places, right? But, you know, uh, you know, it was West Country Derby's, the Leicester game, which were the ones that everybody wanted to play. Yeah. And what was the team that you thought, you looked on the, on the fixtures list and you were like, oh, for God's sake, we got them this week. Who was the team you, you really, I mean, obviously you play against everyone. It's, it's part of a professional sort of remit, but there must be one team you think, oh God, not them again. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I certainly think that, um, that uh, you, you, did, you, you, you couldn't communicate with your team the way that you communicate with your team um, except, except for when you were at the uh, the shed in Gloucester, right? Yeah. It was it was just one of those places. Where, you know, there was an intimidating factor, you know, from the crowd, and, and that it, it wasn't uh, too different at the Memorial Ground now, you know, in, in Bristol, you know, from that sense. Um, and having gone to Leicester, played there for a season afterwards, and so forth, you know, you know that was basically. You just wanted to beat them because you thought that that was going to be the league side yeah. games and things like that. Um, but um, and uh, and everywhere else was kind of in flux, right? London Irish were playing at their old ground. It was a different environment. You know, Saracens were playing. You know, but you know, playing playing at Watford was wonderful. It was a cool playing in the soccer facility. Playing it at, uh, at the old um, uh, what did it, what was it the uh, um, where Wasp played for a period of time? Sorry. Adams Park and Wickham. No, 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 no. They played in um, uh, before that. They played in uh, the uh, Central London at the uh, um, uh, football ground. Um, Jesus, why am I drawing a uh, not cottage? Uh, I think I'll think of it in a second. Um, you know. We, anyway, the uh, some football were a lot of fun to to, to go play and um, you know, know having seen you know what that what those vibes were like. You know, um, but yeah. I definitely didn't like didn't uh, my didn't like to get on the bus to go. Uh, you know, you know, Northampton is uh, obviously you know you know grown over time, but the going to the West Harley Pools, the sale, uh, it was it was all about coming to ch through Cheltenham on the way back, you know, and going. To the, <laughs> Cheltenham, I, did you ever do the Bath Road Run? Did you ever do the Bath that? Road Run in Cheltenham? Yeah, yeah, just you did. That was. That was the, uh, the, the the highlight of those trips, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but we, particularly with the with the the the, the, the uh, refrigerators on the bus were water on the way up and cider on the way back, right? You know, so. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, Thanks. we're almost getting to weird scenario in your time, but there's a question we've been asking uh, all of our guests recently, um, and we like putting people on the spot. That's why we haven't preempted and told you about it. Um, we'd like you to pick uh, Dream 15 uh, from anyone you've ever played with and, and against, if you like. But a lot of a lot of our guests have said, actually, no, we'll just go with played with. So what would be your sort of dream team you would pick? Because we, what we're going to do is print all these teams up from all the different guests and then get viewers and people who subscribe to the group to sort of 
we're going to have a virtual um, sort of World Cup-ish, you know, with all these people's teams. So, uh, what, who would you pick? And uh, obviously going to disappoint some people. And uh, Yeah, yeah, annoying. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's... Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I guess I'll have to... So, so that's a, the guys I play with at Bath, you know, the Bath... In your career. In your career. So, anyone you've ever played with. Um, and if you, I can open up to people you've played against as well, but a lot of people we've put it to have said, actually, we'll just do it with people that I've played with. So however you want to do it, however you've, you know, you've had shared a pitch with in rugby, basically. Yeah. I mean, some of those barbarian teams were just crazy, <laughs> crazy good stuff, right? You know, obviously, you know, you have a hard time not picking Jonah Lomo, you know, you know, yard. Yeah. so it's a, you know, it was the give it to Jonah tours, you know, when all the barbarians, <laughs> right? So it's just, yeah, go Come run over somebody, and yeah. You know, but it, we, he was also the we called him the black hole. There was there was never a pass coming back from John alone, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> he, he never met a ball that uh, that didn't become his, and that he took home with, right? So, you know. <laughs> can, uh, I, can I just ask saying about sorry, John, saying about the barbars, Mickey Bodger. Sorry, uh, obviously being involved with barbarians and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. what, was your, what was your experience like of uh, the late Mickey Steele Bodger? Oh, well, you know, he was a magical human being, right? You know, he was a combination of, a, of uh, you know, of, of, you know, one of those uh, uh, landed lords of, of the 18th century, you know, mixed with, you know, a wit of a, of a, of a leprechaun, you know, um, combined together and, and certainly had nothing but, you know, love and respect for you know the, the players that he brought in and and uh and the and, and everybody but he, he just you know just kind of one of those old school you know guys I, I didn't know his personal character because you know you, you i didn't spend as much time with him but he certainly you know uh you know loved uh the, you know that the 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 the, the barbarian uh, way of life you know in that regard so uh you know Never, never met a never met a wine glass he didn't didn't adore, you know. In that regard, so uh, but yeah, uh, so look, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of great, great players, um, you know, you know. So you know, my the guys that I played with, you know, um, probably doesn't do justice to the guys I played with week in and week out on the U.S. and the, uh, the unless you're uh, you know someone like a, a John Alomo and all that kind of stuff because you know the. Zinzan Brooks and the Ian, Ian Joneses and all those of the worlds and the, and the you know, use and things like that. They're all there, you know, and, and you know, I was lucky to play in a wonderful era and yeah. on. But, uh, well, you would be the only uh, person out of everyone we've asked to pick Jonah. So these teams are so vastly different. It's great. Yeah. It's really good to see. So, yeah, I'd be really interested to see what sort of the other, the rest of the team would look like. All right. So, I'll, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure I'll change it, you know, as I go on. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I had, you know, he, he didn't get picked on the day in, in Europe, but just a guy that, that I love being on the shoulder of starting at the back was, was Matt Perry, you know, and, and uh, I love, love Peza, loved everything about him and on and off the field. So he was great. Uh, I'll, I'll stick with Jonah on the wing. Um, good choice. <laughs> I think, uh, I think that, um, that, uh, that guys, you know, that, that, the other wing is, is really difficult, you know, um, you know, to pick from. There's, you know, there's so many guys enough with 
guys like Yian, you know, there's a year or two, you know, and, got, and there was a lot of guys that were in and out of those squads that, uh, that I would have played with and trying to racking my brain of, you know, the, you know, you know, if it was for purely off the field, it would have been, you know, Addy, Adedeo, Adebeo, of course, right? You know, it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> there was a, there was so many different environments. Awesome. Um, let me come back to that. Um, I, I would pick, uh, hands down, Jerry is, you know, um, the most, um, you know, that I probably, Gusket, that I probably played with, you know, hands down. Um you know, I, I think that uh, I think the tens um, was always underrated. You know, because he, you know, but um, he, you know, we were lifting him and 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 kickoffs at times. He was so athletic, and you know, and he and I, he and I would have you know things contests that you know, I love playing with tens, and and of course, caddy. Uh, um, if Jerry was the most gifted, Mike was the universally the most talented. You know. Um, so gifted versus talented in that regard. So, so probably there. So I'm only left out the wing there. I'll have to come back to that. Um, um, you know, only a couple of years with them, but uh, you, know, you you have to have bulk and mind meld with nines and ten. So you know, Andy Nix was was awesome. You know, and he this day and banter back and forth. Uh, probably go with him. Um, you know. Playing in the back row, um, my first in European Cup with Richard Webster and Nathan and Nathan um, uh, and, and Nathan Thomas. But the uh, the uh, the my teammates uh, and, and I certainly the most fun I had was like 2000 2001 when Ben Clark and Angus Gardner and I played most of the game together. Never a New Zealand player, probably one of the only New Zealand open sides that never played for the All Blacks. You know, he was so gifted there for the year and you know uh he was at bath at the time with like john preston you know uh, who was the all blacks as well because we get another two universal nine and ten but uh, i had two players in the back row for bat for for the u.s gabe hodges who was played for the played for clinically for eight or nine years and and was just awesome and port schubert uh who played for Cardiff for a couple of years and those guys just you know um those guys were, were wonderful teams the two of them um i i always say the 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 back row that i've always respected the most uh, against uh, most was richard hill yeah. you know and so really he really liked uh the way that he played the game he's on sung right neil back got and lawrence got all the love and for different reasons and he was probably a guy that but he was just had the ability to just get underneath you, you know, every single time, you know, so uh, wonderful to play with um, in that regard. Um, you know, uh, I played with a guy named Alec Parker in the U S he never played professionally. He was a gentleman of Aspen. That was his rugby club, you know, which is really interesting. He was a cowboy, a minor, you know, and just one of the hardest guys I've ever been uh, around. So loved him. Um, and then, uh, and then the, uh, the other, wow, well, um, you know, in the U.S., I'm in the U.S. Hall of Fame with Luke, who played at the Harlequins, and he's just a, a human being, and um, you know, and, and consistently played with a lot of really good players. But um, I, I probably would say Steve Borthwick, only because 
I, I, there was a, you know, Danny Grucock was a wonderful friend and we, we, we've seen each other recently and, you know, there's, there's nothing like seeing him in, you know, red mist, you know, going and so forth. But um, Steve was like me, he was a student of the game, right? He, uh, in a lot of ways, just really wanted to learn all the time. And unfortunately, he said he played you know, like U18 basketball for England. And, and to me, like a U18 is like a high school. Michael Jordan was a high school All-American. And, you know, so I played basketball against him because I played basketball in high school. And I beat him, like, really quickly and handedly. And so I kind of realized that, you know, basketball in England versus, like, rugby in America were two different dimensions. Yeah. So, but so Steve was there. Uh, look, uh, you know, Victor was a – he was a – was a you know, he's a – uh, Victor Abugu uh, in the front row was a guy that, uh, you know, you, you you couldn't get around in training and you couldn't get around, you know, in the bar afterwards, you know. So uh, there's a wonderful guy. Um, you know, played with, uh, uh, you know, Mark Regan and Federico Mendez and did, had some wonderful times with them. And But uh, my old teammate who became my coach who played at Harlequins for a number of years, Tom Billups, would probably be the hooker. For me, mm -hmm. um, and then Lou said, um, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of lot of than that European Cup team was great and wonderful guy and a lot of guys uh, probably uh, guy Mike played a number of years professionally over there with Leeds and Worcester and so forth the captain of that team a little bit so probably Mike would be uh, would be the guy that I, that I would pick and so I've avoided the Barbarians and the and other played against guys um, only because it you know, probably discredits the guys that you play with you know week in and week out which is probably your be bread and butter and what so, about yeah. that automatic weather wing then did you're going to come yeah. back uh, that is a you know you know the guy that i only played with like four or five times mm -hmm. and that you just looked at him in practice and he had all these problems was a was simon gagan remember simon gagan played for ireland and you know and uh, yeah. irish and so forth I wouldn't pick him, but he's just one of those guys. <laughs> I, I would if I would have played with him more because you could just see it, right? You could just – when you see a guy like that, you, you know, you just you just know he's there. So, um, you know, um, may, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll substitute uh, – I'll, I'll put Ian Balshaw on the other wing. And, uh, and um, because when we were at our best in the 2099, 2000, 2001, 2002 – you know, uh, he was, uh, he's just so gifted and, you know, was one of those guys that, um, it was just fun to be around and, um, you know, and him, him, him and, uh, Tins were our thickest thieves, right. You know, and, uh, there's all kinds of stories there, them living together and, uh, it's hard to have a team, a team it's, but it's, it's positive and negative energy, right. You have to, you have to have them both there for that, for it to work. Right. You know, anyway. <laughs> Brilliant. And who would you have managing this Motley crew? Um, you've you've worked under or with? Yeah, luckily, because I have Tom as my coach, and look, Jack Clark was my first coach, and uh, on the men's team, I uh, I wouldn't be in the game without him. I certainly wouldn't be in the game all there. Um, I think like a lot of guys, the, the the unsung guy that probably most guys learned from was uh, was Brian Ashton. You know, and whether he was the right. With England and Ireland, or all that kind of stuff. But as far as a coach, you know, um, pure, pure, you know, everything you want. Maybe Brian. Yeah. 
good choice. So, Perfect. So well, uh, responses, haven't we, from every guest? Is, yeah. I don't think anyone's picked two of the same player, which is great. You know, I think it's, it's really good. And I'll be interested to see when these posts go up, sort of what people think and, and who thinks. Yeah, know, be good. Yeah. Take a look. I, thought, I thought you were going to ask me how to how to solve all of Baff's. Uh... Oh, we haven't got we haven't got long <laughs> to solve Baff's problems. Uh, it's going to take too Dan, long. Don't set him up like that. Don't <laughs> set him up like that. Right, right. We're going to you're in for a treat. You're in for scenario Neil now. Yeah, it's going to get weird. I'm going to I'm going to ease you in with a nice soft one, right? Which is what I'll be asking a lot of people. So, this is the lockdown question, right? You're on lockdown, right, with someone that you've played rugby with in your career. You have to be locked down with this person for two weeks. You cannot leave the house. You can't even have an hour's exercise. You are literally in the house with that person for two weeks. People are bringing you food. Who would make it an absolute living hell? Who, out of anyone you've ever played with, do you think, oh, my God, I couldn't survive two minutes with, let alone two weeks, and why? <laughs> Playing with them. Um, well, that's easy. That's so easy. Mark Regan. Right. Right. That, you know, the, he is the best guy to be around and to be around all at the same time. Right. We'll stitch you up. He's like survivor, right? It's like, you have to, you have to like, you know, be a few stories and then, and then, and then plot against him at the same time. But he, cause he's doing that with you the whole time. You know what I mean? You know, he, he's, he's uh yeah. So that would be, that's an easy one. I mean, I, you know, you, you wouldn't be, he, you know, his name should be Jack. Jack. You know, he is like, he, he is the, you know, but, uh, you know, he's the guy that goes into the pizza shop and walks out with his per- the pizza for himself right first. And, you know, there's no other, you know, <laughs> or is the first drink and it doesn't buy the last one, right? All <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like he'd be, be a good mate of mine. Yeah, cheers, mate. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. Now, this one is a little bit weirder. Um, it's going to take a bit more, right? So you wake up in a dark room. Don't worry, it's, it's, it's not that weird. But you wake up in a dark room, you hear a little squeak, and you think, what the hell is that? You, you're, there's enough light in the room for you to see that that little freaky bugger from the film Saw has just cycled into the room on a tricycle and asked you if you want to play a game. On the table, hang on, on the table, there are five bottles of Jägerbomb, 50 pints of Guinness, and 20 pints of ale, and you've only got four hours to drink them. Who do you pick and why? Well, obviously, why? But who who do you pick to help you get through that and get out of the room safely? Yeah, well, may, maybe you know, uh, maybe it's the position they play. But um, the guy that the the guy that could drink as much as anybody else, you, you need somebody with a hollow wooden leg, right? You need yeah. Yeah, right, but also the ability to kind of distract you so he could throw stuff over the shoulder, too, right? <laughs> yes. You know, you know. Um, <laughs> You know, and, and and there's nothing better than a language barrier for that, right? You know, at the same time. So, um, Fred Fred Mendez, Fred Mendez, the the people that played hooker for Argentina, that played was on the team about when it first came for a few years, was uh, went on to Northampton, right, and, and played won the European Cup with them. Uh, yeah, he 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 understands, and he's owns a winery, you know, down in uh, you know in uh, in Argentina and all that kind of stuff. So he's one of those guys that that. Uh, yeah, you don't want to have there because he's he was a man mountain could could consume everything but at the same time would you know uh you know at one time would pretend like he doesn't understand you and the next moment he would be giving a <laughs> you know an oxford laden you know you know narrative you know about you know why 
you know, this, this, you know, why he overthrew, you know, X, Y, and Z, you know, so. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, I think that's, I'm going to work on some weirder ones because we had, um, had a guy on yesterday and he said that the questions weren't weird enough. So I think that's a little bit of a challenge personally. So, you know, you, you feel yourself lucky that I've not had time. Well, the, 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 thing, the thing is, you guys know when you're on a team, particularly if you're on a professional team where it becomes your job and you're in each other's pockets mm. and you're on a lot of tours, right? The whole Remember that movie um, 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 where the... Uh, the plane crash in the Andes, uh, alive, right? Alive, yeah, yeah. They had to eat, you know. They had to eat, you know. The, uh, you know, the, the became cannibals and all that kind of stuff. Well, every rugby club, you know who you're going to eat, right? <laughs> you know, you, you know who's, you know, uh, if you're in, you know, who would be the guy you attacked first, right? You know, you know, and I'm assuming you know, the guy that you're going to be is is the slowest and the biggest, right? Am I just assuming? Potentially, 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 you know, you might find that they might be, the, you might gang up on them, set a trap because you feel that they're, you know, they're, you know, they're just going to produce a, you know, a quality steak. You know, you just never know, you know. You really thought about this. I love this. I'm going to have to consult you when it comes to my so This is, this, this has gotten prison. weirder and weirder. You also know the weirdness of prison, right? Where, you know, you have to fend for yourself, but you also, right? So there's a, you know, so you know, you know what those guys look like as well, right? So, uh, yeah. so who would you eat? Just out of curiosity, who did you decide that you was? Yeah, yeah, that's that, that, those are my questions. So, uh, you know. <laughs> fair enough. Perfect. Well, I, I think on that very strange note, we'll uh, we'll call it a day there. Thank you very much for uh, your time, Dan. Been a pleasure. Uh, pleasure having you on. Yeah, thank you. And uh, yeah, we'll have to uh, we'll have to get back on back on another one when there's some rugby to be chatting about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, thanks for having me. I hope you guys are you know are staying safe and sane, and and uh, you know we'll uh... one out of two is not bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm certainly safe. I don't know about sane. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure if that's an American football pitch or behind you. There, Neil. Oh, but, whiteboard. Uh, it's, it, no, yeah. it looks like I'm doing like loads it's got, of it's got columns. Uh, it's got columns, obviously, that are cut off. But uh, it's really boring. Yeah. Oh, there we go. There we go. Yeah, there. I, I, oh, don't give away the company secrets. That's <laughs> right. No one from Hayes watches this. It's fine. <laughs> Carbonara Monday. You know, fish and chips. <laughs> got it. You got it. Nailed it. <laughs> now it's been an honour, Dan. Thank you very much for coming on. All right, yes, pleasure. Cheers, thank you. Thank you very much. Take care.